page 970, Matthew 6, verse 9 till 13, and 31 to 34. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what, she, what shall we wear? For the pagan run after all the things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need, you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. Thank you very much, Arshad, for uh, that wonderful reading. Uh, fantastic to hear and see you do that today. Thank you. Um, it's, uh, it's hard to believe that it's over 18 years since the first time I stood here. I don't know if you remember some of you that they had to import the special box for me to stand on so that you could see me at the back. That was 18 years, well, over 18 years ago on our first uh, weekend visit to a Babar in autumn 2003. In those days, I always used to preach for at least 40 minutes. So beware. After today, you can't say anything. But um, slowly, I came to the conviction that, generally speaking, uh, less is more. And uh, you kind of helped me on that journey with great patience sometimes and a fair bit of teasing as well. But uh, what I do remember about that first service all those years ago was we were sitting just over there near where Hannah is uh, and Sally and Ben are sitting now. And about five minutes into the service, Alison and I exchanged a glance... And it was a wordless glance. We didn't say anything, but we both knew exactly what the glance meant. It basically meant that a bump bar felt like home. And that deep down, we sensed that God was calling us to come and love and serve the church. I have to say, we've uh, never once regretted that decision to follow what we believe to be God's call. Uh, the church has been a real family to us, where we've met many amazing people, many of them here uh, today, and uh, we've made great friends. And as we've already reflected, it's been a church where Nicola and Anna have been nurtured and had wonderful role models who've helped them, and where Alison and I have had great opportunities to serve and grow. And it's been a huge privilege uh, to lead this, uh, this team uh, over these years. So obviously for me, there are mixed feelings, uh, as there are for Alison, as I uh, stand here for the, uh, the last time as one of your pastors. And uh, I've got a strategically placed glass of water beside me for those moments when my throat ends up in my mouth and needs some help to be swallowed back down again. So please bear with me. 
Uh, too many people to name have played a key part in these years. And uh, it's always dangerous to thank individuals. I have to just mention a few, but in general, it's been just a wonderful team, community, family experience. But of course, I do want to thank my fellow ministers over these years, Paul Alcock, Andrew Page, Paul Weber, Tim Sutton, and Chris Webb. And along with them, particularly to uh, mention Chris Tuck and Sally and Ben Thomas and Hannah and Ash and Roz, all of whom who've shared huge uh, weight of responsibility of leadership day to day at various points. So huge thank you uh, to them. But then, of course, with them, all of the other elders and officers and members of the staff team and leadership team, alongside lots of, of key volunteers who have given so much and most of it unnoticed and unthanked. And uh, we are so, so grateful. Um, I particularly want to say thank you to Val Sewell, who uh, has very patiently, she's borne with me so much, goodness me, uh, served as a kind of PA to me for about 14 years, I think. Um, unpaid, but absolutely faithful and totally reliable and just the most wonderful uh, gift. So special uh, thanks to her. And thank you also to the friends who've loved us, uh, perhaps including especially those who've loved us through some of those darker times that we've been through as well. But really to the whole church family, thank you for your prayers, for your support, uh, for your encouragement and your partnership in the gospel over these years. Uh, I've often said, and I still say to my friends, that ABC has been an easy church for us to love, and we continue to love it, and will do, and to pray. Recently, Alison and I have talked quite a bit as we've been walking and chatting and reflecting on today about what we might see as some of the highlights of these years. Uh, and to be honest, the list is too long for us to uh, go through uh, even just a a small number of them. But I've asked Alison just to share one or two things as part of that, and then I'll share a bit more. Thank you. The other day I was reading Psalm 13, and these words struck me at the end. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. And I just started to make a list <laughs> of ways in which we've seen the Lord's goodness over these years. And it's too long for me to go through. But I've just got one or two things I want to pick out. <clears throat> um, where have we seen God at work? We've seen him at work through a welcoming community. You welcomed us. Thank you for welcoming us as a family. Thank you for all that you've invested in our lives. Thank you for the many ways in which we have seen Jesus shine through so many people here. But thank you for welcoming the outsiders into this church. I've often looked back and thought, over the years, we've learned to get our hands dirty as we've welcomed the more vulnerable, more broken people into our church. And I think that's something that's on Jesus' heart. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for journeying with us in that. And I think we'd all say we have seen God at work through that as he has restored lives and as he has brought people into his kingdom. And can I just say thank you as well. You know who you are for those who've prayed for us so regularly. Some of you I know have prayed for us daily. 
And I don't know where we'd be without that. So thank you. We're very grateful for the home that we've had, the house that uh, has been called the Mayflowers, and it's been our family home. And we've seen God at work through that home, and we're very, very grateful. It's been a special place for us as a family, as Nicola and Anna have grown up there. Nicola got married from there, and we've got many wonderful, special memories. But it's also been a place where we've seen God at work in people's lives, as individuals and couples have come in to share time with us, as we've run numerous Alpha courses there, and we've seen people's hearts opening to the gospel, as we've seen students come in and go deeper in the scriptures, and more recently we've welcomed some of the young people into our home and just had fun with them on a Sunday evening. So we're really grateful for the Mayflowers, we'll miss it lots. Um, but we've seen God at work there, and we're very grateful for that. I've seen God at work in families. I had the joy of serving the team in Poppin for a number of years, and as has already been said, in GSMA for a long time. I had great joy seeing God at work in and through Jane as she grew as a leader and took the children's work um, forward and enabled it to flourish and thrive in so many ways. God has worked in families in this church, and we're grateful for that. But I guess I just want to share a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) One of the greatest joys for me in recent years has been getting to know people from many different backgrounds and cultures, especially through the work of English Language Cafe but also just seeing this church grow as an international community. It's been extraordinary to see that happen. And I guess if I can leave one challenge to you as a church, it would be that you increasingly love and welcome the people from the different nations that God has brought to our city. We are so blessed by having them here. Work hard at getting to know them, understanding them, learning from them. They have so much to offer. And it's been such a joy and privilege to serve with them, um, to get to know them, to see Jesus work in so many lives, to bring people into the kingdom and see them grow deeper in their faith. But above all, please take this work forward and make this a church where people from all the nations are gathered because It's part of God preparing his bride. So I'm just going to finish with, um, John will be grateful I'm about to finish. Um, (laughs) But I just love the, the words in Revelation that point to the day when Jesus returns. And there will be a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. So let's just... Give glory to God for what he's done and say praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. 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 Thank you very much, Al. Um, 
For myself, I guess, just to highlight, I've loved being at the heart of the preaching and worshipping life of the church, uh, especially Christmas and Easter. We've had some great times together, haven't we? Those Good Friday services in the round that have been unforgettable for me. Um, and, uh, of course, I'd have loved to have seen more growth over these years, more people come to faith, more people inspired for mission, more impact on the city. Of course I would. Any pastor would say that and mean that. But at the same time, it has been a huge joy for us to see the slow but steady stream of new believers, to see Alpha established in the life of the church and the second morning service for a time and then the second site in the east. And, and then to see the church with the influence of others, I played a very modest role, but come to embrace a vision of serving the city and big difference now being a major player in food poverty here and big breakfast and cap and basics bank and various other things established in this way. It's been great to see, I think, 170 people go through formation school and become disciple-making leaders and see some of our young people baptized. So precious to uh, see Maisie baptized the other day, wasn't it? And pursuing Jesus passionately and generations of students growing in their understanding and to see older people, let me say, finishing their race well, so inspirational. And sometimes to see suffering and struggling people wrestling with the painful ambiguities of life and yet holding on to trust in Jesus. And yes, of course, as we've already mentioned, a very special joy in recent years to see the church welcoming people from challenging backgrounds through lots of different ministries that God has brought together and yet finding ourselves not impoverished but enriched as a church as a result. I want to be really clear, I can't take the credit for this. Most of it has been done through the vision and the grit and the faith of others. And in it all, I've made my fair share of mistakes. But we have seen God at work. And so we want to uh, praise uh, him. <laughs> this morning, seeing God at work. Now, for the clock watchers, this is the beginning of the sermon, okay? That was all just the introduction. <laughs> But actually, let me pick up on that phrase, seeing God at work, because that is precisely what we're praying for every time we pray, your kingdom come in the Lord's Prayer. It's a prayer that we want to see God at work. Because in the Bible, the kingdom of God isn't a place like the United Kingdom, say. The kingdom of God is rather talking about the dynamic reign of God breaking into human history and experience. In fact, the rest of the verse explains it, doesn't it? The kingdom of God comes when his will, in the sense of the order of things that expresses his righteousness, justice, and goodness, when his will is ceaselessly done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the kingdom of God, God's will breaking in to order things according to his goodness and righteousness and justice. I think it's what we've experienced every time we've seen someone put their faith in Jesus. We saw God at work, the kingdom coming. It's what we've experienced every time we've taken a risk in some new initiative and God has stepped in and blessed it. The kingdom came. God stepped in. We saw him at work and I think Alice and I would say we got a taste of it in January when God rather unexpectedly broke into our lives 
convincing us that he had a new chapter for us and that it was time to move on. Your kingdom come. We want to see you at work, God. Just three things. Of course, it had to be, didn't it? Three things about this prayer. First of all, this is an ambitious prayer. Let me say this is not a prayer to pray if you are strongly invested in the way things are. It is inescapably a prayer for change. Your kingdom come, break in, and reign, O God. Because, of course, in a thousand ways and many more, our world order is not pleasing to God and does not reflect his justice and goodness and salvation. And this is a prayer for that to change. It isn't a conservative prayer to leave the status quo unrocked. It is rather a prayer of holy ambition and longing. And notice it's your kingdom come. So many, I think, of my prayers are very self-oriented. But this is not a self-oriented prayer, asking God to run his universe for my maximum convenience and pleasure. No, this is a God-oriented prayer for things to be ordered for his pleasure and for his glory. Jesus, of course, unpacks what this looks like in Luke 4, where he's actually quoting from Isaiah 61, back at his own home uh, region. He's in the synagogue, and He reads these words from Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth that the kingdom would come. His reign break into history. And this is what it would look like. This is what it did look like when Jesus intervenes. So when God's kingdom comes, still, when his heavenly reign breaks into human experience on earth, yes, the poor hear the good news of a God who hears their cry and listens and desires to lift and restore them. The captives hear of their freedom. The blind hear of their sight. The oppressed are liberated. And all of us are invited to leave our childish rebellions behind and step into a new life embraced by the favor of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God. Does it strike you what a great world it would be if that were the order of things? unchallenged, unrivaled, be a great world, wouldn't it? And therefore, it's a great ambition to hold and to nurture and to express and daily to bring to God your kingdom come. In the uh, Kaddish blessing, the Jewish people prayed that God would, quotes, let his kingdom rule in your lifetime and in your days and in the lifetime of the whole house of Israel speedily And soon, an ancient Jewish prayer. But the message of the New Testament is that this kingdom, which the Jewish people expected as the order of the age to come, has broken into the present age in the coming of Israel's Messiah, Jesus, the King of the kingdom. So when we pray, your kingdom come, Yes, we do it with longing for Jesus to return, to make all things new, to establish his kingdom in all its wonderful, joy-infused, Christ-centered richness and fullness. Yes, that ambition drives us, but we also pray it 
with an ambition to see that same kingdom breaking into human history now in the present age so that now the broken are healed and the oppressed are liberated and the captives set free and people from all backgrounds and life situations invited in to the year of the Lord's favor, the grace and mercy of our God in Jesus through whom our sins can be forgiven and our relationships restored with God, with others, with creation even with ourselves. So as we move into our futures, let it not be with self-obsessed prayers, but with prayers that are infused with this ambition. Friends, do we care about the lostness of our world? Do we care about the poverty of many in our city? Do we care about the excluded and the outsider? Are we longing to see salvation? Then let us pray as Jesus taught us. Our Father in heaven, your kingdom come. It's a prayer of ambition. But it's also a God-dependent prayer. I mean, I guess every prayer really should be a God-dependent prayer. But this is, certainly, and it's therefore a humble prayer. It's an obvious thing to say, but it needs saying, this is a prayer, not a command, not an instruction. Because the ambition of this prayer cannot be achieved by merely human efforts, but only by the supernatural intervention of the Holy Spirit of God. That's why this is a prayer, not a command. Now, if you're a Christian here today, you're probably nodding your head and saying, yes, 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 quite right, we agree. But I just want to gently challenge, do we actually agree? Do we really? Do I? Easy to say, but do I agree? Because I think this is one of the hardest things for us really to take on board. You see, most of us here, many of us here anyway, are Westerners, pragmatists instinctively anti-supernaturalists who frankly would prefer a committee to a day of prayer and fasting and who have more confidence to figure out a solution ourselves than that God might show us his solution if we pause to seek his wisdom. Now that's a confession, it's not an accusation. I'm poisoned by the same trouble. I just wonder if this could be the reason why, generally speaking, the church in the West shrinks while the church of the global South explodes with growth and vitality. It does seem to me that the parts of the Western church that consistently buck that trend of decline are those who passionately combine prayer with action and do nurture a serious, practical expectation of the Holy Spirit's intervention. And if I'm honest, I feel this is an area where my leadership has sometimes lacked over these years. Some of you remember right back at the start of those 18 years, we identified those four key values. Do you remember? I hope you can recite them off by heart if you're a long-term above-bar groupie. We wanted to be mission-focused, Bible-centered, building authentic community, and God-dependent. Remember? Uh, thank you, Jenny. I'm glad. Somebody does. Great. And I think those values have stood the test of time, and they've shaped so much. In all of them, I still have so much to learn. 
But I have to say for myself, I think I have the most to learn still in cultivating that deep, practical, prayerful expectation of God dependence, which means that I need to pray and to keep praying. And I think you do as well. Your kingdom come. Only God can transform Southampton and build his church. We can't do it by ourselves. It's a God-dependent prayer. But in saying that, I absolutely don't mean that we should pray more and act less, which is how I could easily be heard. I absolutely don't believe that. Maybe we should pray more and act better, but not pray more and act less. Prayer and action go right together, which leads me to my last point, that this is a directional prayer, a directional prayer. Yeah, it is a prayer, not an instruction for sure. But I don't think you can pray this prayer seriously and not want to act within the limits of your capacity, sure. But the prayer and action have to go together. If we take it to heart, this surely, like all of the rest of the Lord's Prayer, is a life-directing prayer that will shift our values and shape our action. Just a few verses later, as Arshad read to us, Jesus picks up the same concern about the kingdom, warning us not to busy our lives with obsessive concern about what we eat and drink and wear and look like. But instead, verse 31, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Got that? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's the prayer as a directional prayer, shaping our lives. The uh, new RSV actually puts it even more intentionally. It says, strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You get the strength of that? Seek sounds a little bit like go on a prayer retreat. Great, do that. But don't stop there. No, strive for the kingdom. Prayer and action. Now, this doesn't mean give up your jobs and everyone work for the church. It doesn't mean that at all. But it does mean in our jobs, in our research, in our homes, in our communities, there is something to strive for. And it isn't our popularity. And it isn't our personal wealth or our personal image. But it is the kingdom of God. His justice, his peace between people, and joy in the Holy Spirit as people open their lives to Jesus. It's a directional prayer. Above Bar has always been about much more than the person who leads the team at any point in time. It is a wonderful church. You are a wonderful church with huge potential, and we continue to love and care about it deeply. But I do just want to be frank for a moment and just name it that we are also a church with a difficult and recurring history in terms of leadership transition. And I want to say it's a history that has to be broken because the enemy of the church will be no less busy in the coming months than he was in previous periods of transition. It has to be broken, but it won't be broken by accident. And it won't be broken if any of us choose to exploit the vulnerabilities of this moment, to push our particular causes and concerns, or our particular fears, while failing to love well those who think differently. 
but it can be broken if we make this great prayer our prayer and make its ambition the ambition that we pursue above every other concern. Not my will be done, not my ideas prevail, not my fears control, but our Father in heaven, your kingdom come. Make it your prayer. Make it your priority. Make it what you seek and what you strive for. Friends, may I appeal to you, don't retrench and batten down the hatches. Don't neglect to love each other well. Don't forget the city and its needs and turn in on ourselves. But pursue the kingdom and keep pursuing the kingdom so that the future may be brighter than the past. And the modest fruit of these years be just a foreshadowing of the fruit to come. So that Christ may be loved, his people. That's the last sentence, isn't it ridiculous? So that Christ may be loved, his people blessed, and the kingdom advance for the sake of his glory. God bless you.